Uh, let's turn to Romans 5. I would say greetings again in the Master's name and appreciate the, what was mentioned there by way of prayer for the service here. Um, I've been thinking on this for a while and uh, tremendous uh, tremendous truth here and I'm not sure I'll be able to um, really uh, well, I'm sure I won't be able to exhaust it or but get across the tremendous meaning here. But let's read the first 11 verses, Romans 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than... Being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. So just a brief outline. First two verses talk about peace with God. Three to five, he's boast in sufferings. 6 to 8, died for the ungodly, and 9 to 11, saved from God's wrath. Now, it starts out and says, therefore. Now, you've heard the saying, when you see a therefore, you're supposed to see what it's telling. Therefore. therefore. Okay. And so, it, it follows verse 25. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Or the NIV says, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And so here you have two great acts in God's plan of salvation. Christ being handed over to death or to die for our trespasses and being raised for our justification. So the death and the resurrection are both key. Reconciled through death, saved in his life, it says. And so it's on that basis that we move into chapter 5. And, and then Paul uh, here expands on the idea of justification or, or talks about justification. Justification is sometimes translated as righteous or righteousness. Um, it's the act of declaring one not guilty. Uh, William's translation says, since we have been given right standing with God. That's justification. We've been given right standing with God. And this... This, uh, the uh, justified, as a verb, and the, uh, in the Greek, the Greek tense uh, is um, aorist, I think is the way you say it. But anyway, they or I used to say aorist, but aorist, A-O-R-I-S-T. -A but it's, it's past tense. It's, it's an act that happened. It's not ongoing. And um, so it's, it's, it's the act of declaring one not guilty. It's not a process. It's an event. 
It's past tense. Something happened in the past. It's passive voice, not active voice. The uh, New American Standard Bible says, therefore, having been justified by faith. And so the declaration isn't ours. The declaration that we're justified now, that we have right standing with God, it's not what we said, it's what God said because of what Jesus did. And uh, uh, 39 times in the New Testament, someplace uh, I heard or read that it, um, it, it uh, says this. Uh, and to say that someone is justified isn't saying they're innocent of a crime. They, they're guilty, but they're exempt from the sentence the crime deserved. And uh, so we're, we're born and we sin, and that sin is a crime against God. And so wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, how can God be just and justify a sinner? See, God is holy and righteous. So how can he declare us innocent? Through Jesus. It's through Jesus' death on the cross, the blood. And uh, so, the, again, who was delivered for our offenses, verse 25, who was delivered for our offenses, the gift of Christ. Justification is the equivalent of forgiveness through Christ's death as well as providing a relationship in Christ. Now, it says being justified by faith. And so let's talk about faith a little bit. Faith is a, a belief in, a conviction of truth. It's not merely, at least I can say it that way, it's not, it's, mainly it's not an intellectual um, acknowledgement or acceptance. It, it's active, of course, James talks about that. And it's interesting, Paul talks about the obedience of faith. It's kind of like a, a coin. Now, the coins nowadays... At least, you know, they're sandwiches. And so we talk about both sides of a coin. Well, faith and obedience, it's one thing. It's two sides. And uh, in fact, if you turn, you might just turn back to um, first chapter of Romans. Let's see, where does it say that? Um, I think I wrote the reference down. Okay, it's verse 5. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith. You see that phrase, obedience to the faith. That's at the beginning of the book. Now turn to the end of the book, Romans 16. Uh, the, very, the very last... Uh, next to the last verse in the book, verse 26 in Romans 16. But now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. The obedience of faith. So two parts of one. So true faith surrenders to the truth and it represents a conduct or a product that flows from or is produced by that faith. That's all part of what's tied up in faith. Now, uh, notice, okay, back to chapter 5. Notice three results of this justification of God declaring us just, therefore being justified by faith. One, we have peace with God. 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope. Those are the three things. Peace with God, access by faith, rejoicing in hope. So let's talk a little bit about peace with God. Uh, is peace, what is peace? Is peace the absence of conflict? That would be part of it, okay? Uh, peace, more the, uh, the idea tied up in the Old Testament word shalom, shalom, which, which uh, had to do with, uh, involved in that word shalom was wholeness, wellness, completeness of spirit. That's, that's all part of this peace we're talking about here. So we have peace with God, we have wholeness, we have wellness, we have completeness of spirit as a result uh, of this justification, as a result of being reconciled. So, so we have peace with God. We're no longer under constant condemnation or censure from an unappeased conscience. We no longer fear divine anger. Our war with God is over. Christ won the victory on the cross. And we enter that victory by faith in his atoning work on the cross. And at the end of the verse, when it talks about peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, over 60 times in the New Testament, we have that full, would you say full name or three names for, for Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is the one who exercises authority. Jesus is the Savior who came to save us. Save the lost, seek and save the lost in Christ, the Messiah who fills the Old Testament prophecies. So that speaks to the fullness of Jesus' ministry. So peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then access by grace. By, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Now here I'm going to get just a little bit technical. On this word that's translated access, I'm going to read what... Um, what I found somewhere. This word is a compound of two words meaning toward or facing, that's one word, and to lead or to bring is the other word. It is literally a leading or bringing into the presence of, associated with freedom to enter through the assistance or favor of another. Thayer's Greek English lexicon says, this is a relationship with God whereby we are acceptable to him and have assurance that he is favorably disposed toward us. It was the act of one who secures for another an interview with a sovereign. You know, you talk about access, access to the president, access to some CEO or something. You know, usually you don't just walk in. You have to go through certain secretaries and offices and so on. But we have access to God. Uh, some more. In the, in the key verse, Romans 5, 2, grace here is seen as a haven or harbor. In secular Greek, secular usage, this word referred to a place for ships as they approached a harbor. Jesus brings the believer into full favor of God. Wust, uh, Wust did some Greek uh, expositing, says God the Son provides the way into the Father's presence through the blood of his cross. God the Spirit, now notice, God the Son provides the way into the Father's presence through the blood. God the Spirit conducts the saint in and presents him. 
and God the Father is the one in whose presence the believer is brought. That's kind of interesting. The noun occurs only three times in the New Testament, here and twice in Ephesians. In Ephesians 2.8, it says 2.18. We both have access in one spirit to the Father. I mean, I just stop there and just think about that a little bit. We have access to God, the sovereign, creator, and controller of the universe. We have access because we have a right standing with him now through Jesus Christ. We both have access in one spirit to the Father indicates the privilege of being brought to or introduced to God. This involves the free access we have to God through the Holy Spirit because of Christ's merits. And then Ephesians 3.12 says we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. This tells us that our access to God's throne denotes liberty granted by God because of faith in Jesus Christ. Compared to the limited access to God in the Old Testament, the free access that we have now is certainly a, a reason to exalt in hope of the glory of God. So, it says here, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I'll just point out something here. The word rejoice in verse 2, the word glory in verse 3, and the word joy in verse 11 is all the same Greek word and it's translated by some translations, exalt. And I was thinking about that a little bit. Um, rejoice, exalt, but there, there's a game people used to play I think I kind of remember how it went. Like you would, um, you would act out a word. People, somebody would act out a word, and you're supposed to try and guess what that word was. And so, how would you act out the word "exalt"? You know, would you like this? Uh, and maybe they say "joy," so you have to go like this, so they know it's a bigger word. Uh, but what is it to exalt? in God, in Jesus Christ, and these things he's provided for us. Uh, boast or glory and some other translations. Okay, so we rejoice in hope. We joy in the presence of God. And we have, we have hope, we have joy now, and we, have, we're all, we also have joy because we look forward to our resurrected body. That's part of our hope too. A glorified, resurrected body. And something else that was interesting to me here too. Uh, just uh, in in um, the very first phrase, one translation said, "Therefore, having been justified, and then we have peace, and then in verse two we have access, and so." Um, Having been justified, that's past tense. That's something God did through Jesus Christ for us. And then we have, and we have. And what have uh, connotes, denotes possessions. If we have something we possess. And I was thinking about how people get all um, 
um, concerned about their possessions. But we have some we we have some real possessions here. I'll tell you, we have we have we have peace with God. We have access by faith. Well. We not only have these three benefits of justification, but we glory in tribulations. That's what it says. Um, go read something from Marcus Lynn's commentary on Romans. Glorying in tribulation is not natural, but supernatural. It is a close kin to loving one's enemies, something the natural man just does not do. But, what, but when one can glory in tribulation, frequently a surprise takes place. It is noted for triggering a chain reaction. You have the chain reaction here. And you have one in Peter also, Second uh, Peter chapter 1. Um, but when one can glory in tribulation, frequently a surprise takes place. It is noted for triggering a chain reaction in which the Lord is happy to prove himself in behalf of those who would so honor him. A midnight rejoicing in the prison at Philippi by two bloody beaten missionaries was answered by an earthquake which opened the prison door and released every prisoner. The jailer was then saved and with his family gave answer of a good conscience toward God. A new church was started and some years later one of those beaten missionaries wrote an inspired letter to that church on the theme of rejoicing, a letter which has blessed the hearts of millions down through the centuries. Um, and Paul said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. If we were writing this as a chemistry equation, we'd have suffering, suffering produces or yields character. That's what it says here. Tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. Oh, someone likened it to this, uh, suffering, uh, and character, and that, that it produces character. Uh, take a tea bag, a dry tea bag, and you put it in hot water, and the substance of the tea comes out. You know what the tea's about. Uh, that was sort of an interesting illustration. Okay, it says here in verse 5 that tribulation works patience, patience, experience, experience, hope. Hopeth maketh not ashamed. And that word ashamed in Scripture means that you're not let down. You're not disappointed. And it says we will not be let down. We will not be disappointed. And it says, the love of God, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And is shed abroad, a couple other translations. Uh, New King James says, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Uh, 20th century New Testament said, for the love of God has filled our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Well, moving on, verses 6 to 8, we have a tremendous contrast. We won't spend a lot of time here, but um, uh, it says, When we were yet without strength in due time, and I had to think about that in relation to the times in which we live, um, whatever's happening in this nation or other nations, history is linear. God has a plan, and he's moving that plan along. And it says here, In due time Christ died for the ungodly. Uh, the Amplified says fitting time. New American Standard Bible says at the right time. And what does Galatians say? In the fullness of time. So God gave that promise to Abraham 2,000 years before it happened. 
2,000 years and then it happened in due time. So sometimes our thinking of what is a fitting time or a suitable time or a proper time may not be the same as God's. Uh, 2,000 years, they were waiting till that time came. Well, here it talks about us, about how Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. And it says, much more than being now justified by his blood, the fact that that happened while we were God's enemy. How much more, well that's verses 9 and 10, it says we, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. It says we were enemies of God. Um, we were enemies toward him, and he was an enemy toward us. Both ways. Because we're, we were sinners. And so, we were God's enemy. He was against us as sinners. Now, he was for us, too. But there, we were at odds. We were at odds. If two people, if two people aren't speaking, two people are at odds. And this is politics, too, but Thomas Jefferson and John Adams had a very, very nasty election in 1800 called each other names and Thomas Jefferson hired a sleazy journalist to, journalist to write a false article about John Adams so on. Anyway they didn't, they had been buddies, you know, working on the Declaration of Independence and stuff, working through the politics of that era and then when they ran against each other they became enemies and they didn't speak to each other for 12 years and somebody got them back together, and it's kind of, what day did they die? Jeff probably knows. They both died on July the 4th, a certain year in the 1820s, one a couple hours ahead of the other. But anyway, be all that as it may. When two people are at odds, and they get back together, we say they have been, what? Reconciled. Reconciled, yeah. And the person that gets them back together is a, what do we call him? I reconciled. Yeah, he's a reconciler, but I'm thinking of another word. Peacemaker. Peacemaker. And one more. Mediator. Yeah. So Christ is our mediator. Uh, okay. So reconciliation was needed because we were enemies. We were enemies. And, you know, maybe we don't think about that too much. That how we were, we were enemies of God. You know, Jonathan Edwards' sermon, I think I read it one time. Uh, and I forget, I think this was in that sermon. You know, he said, we're like we're, like we're hanging over a fire by a spider thread. Uh, God, I mean, sinners in the hands of an angry God, that famous sermon. Um, so, but God, okay, God is the enemy of sinners. And if God is against us, it doesn't matter who is for us, we're ruined. So how can we be saved from the wrath of God when we're enemies? 
God is an enemy to our sins because we rebel against God. So God the Father works to rescue us from his wrath. And of course, we can think about the future in Revelation where it talks about God pouring out his wrath on the nations on the earth and and uh, we're going to be saved from that. But presently, we're not under God's wrath anymore because we've been justified. And and we've been reconciled. And I'm not sure if I, um, if I made that very clear here. And I'm uh, not sure where I have it in my notes. But we were justified by his blood and were saved by his life. And that's another subject. But that saved by his life. That's, see, justified is a one-time thing where we're declared not guilty. But saved by his life is continuous. Uh, as, we, uh, as we identify with Christ in his life, and that's ongoing, and maybe that'll be another subject sometime. Salvation. Salvation is a continuing experience. We're saved by his life. We enter into Christ's life, and we're saved by his life. Um, the, the Amplified said, daily delivered from sin's dominion through his resurrection life. Well, just concluding here then. God proves his love. Christ died while we were enemies. That, that gives me a lot of, um, what would you say, security? Because what it says here is just plain. If Christ, God's plan of salvation, if Christ died for me when I was God's enemy, how much more can I expect God to do for me when I'm his child? It's really encouraging. God proves his love. Christ died while we were enemies. God's wrath is great. God's love is greater. We are saved by Christ's life. And we joy. There's that exalt again. We joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We glory in it. We boast in it. We enjoy it. And my concluding statement here in my notes is Jeremiah 9, 24. But let him glorieth, glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That's something to exalt in. That's something to boast in. That's something to glory in. That's something to rejoice and joy in, that we know God. Let's kneel for prayer.